while um, those saves that we saw the women of uh, 2017 giving were physical and exceptional and all of those things, they pale in comparison to the save that we are going to talk about this morning. Today's lesson um, begins with the story of two men who were acting rather foolish. They were filled with arrogance. They were bent on destruction. They were ready to descend into a spiral of bloodshed and vengeance. The main character of this story may be someone you've heard of before. His name is David. You see and hear a lot about him in the Old Testament. David was chosen by God as a young man to be the next king of Israel. He was a man with a royal calling. He had a passionate heart. But in this particular story, he was on the verge of losing it. He was on the verge of losing his integrity. He was on the verge of losing sight of his calling. He was losing his heart to sin and violence. David was a man who was in danger of forgetting who he was and forgetting who God was to him. He was about to take matters into his own hand and that would have been a foolish choice. But instead, he gets a taste of redemption. The second man in our story is a very, very wealthy man. And he has everything going for him, except one thing. The man is a fool. Third character in our narrative is a very smart woman. And her name is Abigail. And I would like to submit to you that she made one of the greatest saves of all times. Follow with me, if you will, the account in 1 Samuel 25. We're going to start in verse 2, and we're going to go all the way to verse 44. Never let it be said at Pathways, we do not teach the Word of God. Amen? Okay, amen. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> okay. A certain man in Moan who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, and he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail, and she was intelligent and beautiful, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. 
When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David's? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word David said to his men. Each of you strap on your swords. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the field near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us. The whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sieves of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, loaded them on a donkey. Then she told her servants, go ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. Just David had just said, it has been useless, all of my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David ever so severely if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at her feet, at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak to you, hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I didn't see the men my Lord sent. Now my Lord is surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. May your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal and let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. And please, forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord of your God. But 
the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, praise be to God, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come to me, come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had bought him and said, go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. Okay. I have said it before, and I will continue to say, I love the Old Testament. The imagery, the drama, the, it is, I keep telling you, read your Bible. It is better than TV. It is better than the movies, the intrigue, the political drama. All you have to do is go through the book of Kings. I don't know where you think these stories come from that these writers are writing. A lot of them, they are borrowing from the Bible. It, this story, okay, this story is really good. This story is really, really good. And because I'm a very image person, I think in images, and I try to speak in images, I want to go back over this story slowly. And we are going to glean all of the little particulars from this story. Because you're not as excited about it as I am, but by the time I finish with you, you're going to be like, wow, was that in the Bible? Okay. So, I want you to use your holy imagination for a moment. And I want you to see this as a movie scene. And you can even close your eyes. Don't fall asleep, but you can close your eyes. Okay. So imagine, if this were a movie, we'd start right in the middle of the scene. And it would be a wide angle lens and you would see the expanse of the desert, and you would see the mountains in the background, and it's dry, and it's dusty, and it's hot. And you would see the camera spanning across the wilderness, and then all of a sudden, in the frame would come 400 men. And you would see these 400 men, and they would be marching. They would be carrying swords. You could see in the, their faces their determination, and they were willing to fight to the death. Now, the camera moves up the line, kind of like in Braveheart, go really, really slow. Then finally, you get to Mel Gibson, no, David. You get to David, 
And you see on this man's face, the, the shot zooms in really tight, and you see on his face that this man is not here for it, okay? He is angry. He is a warrior. He is stoned face, and he has been offended, and he is about to go and defend his name and bring honor back to himself. Rage is written all over his face. He's going to kill anybody who gets in his way. Now, as the scene opens back out, you see a little cloud of dust in the corner, and it's moving, and it's moving fast. And the camera starts to tighten up on that figure. Who is that coming across the desert on a little donkey? Is that a donkey? Is that somebody coming on a donkey? And moving as fast as the little donkey can take it. And when you get closer, it's a woman. It's a woman on that donkey. And you come tight in on her face, and it's as determined as David's face. She's not here for it either. Her family is being threatened, and she is going to do what she can in order to save her family. And who is that behind her? There's a caravan behind her. Is she bringing soldiers? I mean, she's not armed. No, that look, are those, those are more donkeys behind her. What are on the donkeys? It looks like wine and food. What is happening? What is this woman doing? She should get out of the way. She's going to be killed. So the camera pans back. We see the lead rider coming this way. David sees her and orders his men to stop. They all draw their swords. They're standing and they're waiting. Who is this infidel? Who is this woman who thinks she is going to come? Is it a trap? Is it a setup? They're straining and they're waiting. These are men, these are soldiers. We see her, she's going as fast as she can. And when she gets near the ravine and starts heading down the ravine, she jumps off the donkey and starts scrambling toward David. And David is standing back with his sword like, you don't want none of this. She comes and she throws herself at his feet. 400 men all of them angry, a little shocked, trying to figure out what's happening in this moment. I hope you can feel the tension and the suspense, because really, in reality, Abigail, is a, she's an enemy. She's a part of, of Nabal and his family. David could have killed her on the spot. Nobody would have cared. She was a woman. A woman was of no consequence in the Old Testament. But then he noticed she was kind of fine. Little, she was winsome. And she's smart. And the first thing that she says in verse 24 is, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. And this is the key to this passage. Because remember, 
how Nabal was described. He was described as a fool. He was described as a person who wouldn't listen to anybody. And David, right now, is acting like a fool. But the question is, will he listen to what Abigail has to say? Will he hear what God has to say through Abigail? That's the question, will he be a fool? Now, her speech was a masterpiece in persuasion, and as I was reading it, you may have noticed that she said a lot of things, but they were all very much, very pointed to David's life. The first thing that she tells him is, David, remember, God gave you a promise. Your house will endure. She was reminding him of God's promise that he was going to be king. In fact, his line endured. Jesus Christ himself comes from the line of David. Then she said, God called you, David, to fight his battles. Because see, back then in that day, the people of Israel wanted a king who would fight for them. And David was that type of man to fight for their battles. But then she says, live up to your calling, David. You are held tightly in God's hands, but your enemies will be hurled away like a stone in a sling. When did the last time did we hear about a stone and a sling? It was when David killed Goliath. He killed him with a stone and a sling. She's reminding him of his past in God's providence. Then Abigail challenges him to remember the good work that God has already begun and that he wasn't finished yet, that God was working according to his purposes. And then she says, David, don't forget that because when you become king, she didn't say if you become king, she said when you become king. You don't want all this bloodshed on your hands. It was a bold speech. This is a woman by herself surrounded by 400 armed men. And she's rapping and she's laying it down. And David is just standing there stone face with his sword. Finally, she says, David, look. There's enough tomfoolery going on in my own house. I'm married to a fool. Do you need to add to the foolishness as well? And then she stops talking, and now there's silence. And the camera is on these two people. They are locked in this moment. And then, because I'm directing this movie, David, who had his sword pointed out toward her, lifts it up. Oh my goodness, what's he gonna do? Is he gonna strike her? Is he gonna behead her? No. He praises God. He praises God. 
for her, and he praises God for the word of the Lord that she brought. Now, I want to tell you something about the Bible. I know a lot of times, I mean, you know, it is God's holy word, and we use it. It is good for correction and rebuke and all of those things. And we believe what the Bible says. But I'm telling you, the Bible is raw, okay? The Bible is better than Game of Thrones. Bible is better than whatever else you're watching. Because I'm gonna give you a little secret to this moment. David looked at Abigail and said to her, I praise God for you, thank you, because I promise you if you had not come, every male in your household would be dead by morning. Okay, now, I want you to know that these are real people. These are real stories. These are instructive. We all get angry. We've all even been enraged. But I thought it was very interesting as I was studying this, um, this passage and reading the translations. David was so angry, he was so incensed that he actually did not say, every male in your house will be killed by morning. That is the cleaned up PG rated version of what David actually said. Now this is in the Bible, I'm not making this up, <laughs> okay. David actually said that anyone who pisseth against a wall will be dead by morning. And I was like, wow, well that's intense. The Bible is raw. The Bible is real and the Bible is instructive for us. So as we move on to this story, this is not the end of the drama. It actually gets even better, if that's even possible. This crisis is averted. Lives are spared. David thanks Abigail. They all go their way. Tragic mistake was averted. Now, the part that I didn't read to you was when Abigail goes back home. Abigail goes back home and she's probably still shaking from that encounter. I mean, that was a frightening encounter. By the skin of her teeth, she made it out of that encounter. And she's been through a lot. The idea that her entire household was about to be massacred. All because of her husband's rash and foolish words. When she gets to the door, opens it up, she finds her husband Nabal there. And he's throwing himself a party. And he's completely wasted. For those of you who, the biblical word for that is he was drunk. He was so drunk 
that Abigail could not even tell him what had happened. And she was so disgusted and exasperated that she just waited till the next day. When she saw him the next day, she told him the entire story about the close call that they had had. And something pretty weird happens. When he hears that he was to have been killed and that she gave away a lot of his food and alcohol and everything to appease him, the scripture says that his heart failed him and he became like a stone. He never recovered and 10 days later, God struck him dead. And then, if it doesn't get even wilder, David heard about Nabal's death and then asked Abigail to marry him and then the two of them lived happily ever after. The end, that's the story. Isn't that wild? <laughs> that's craziness. That's a crazy story. But that story, like all of the stories in the Bible, are instructive. And how are they instructive? I guess the first thing that we should say when we read these things is, how does this story intersect with my life? Where am I being a fool? Where am I on my spiritual journey? Where do I need to accept God's offer of redemption? In this story, two men were brimming with arrogance and bent on destruction and bloodshed. And the thing about this story is that they were both offered redemption. One takes the path of redemption and the other continues his life of folly and hard-heartedness. Nabal was a fool. He was wealthy and his hunger Appetites were for power and recognition, and he had them on full display. This was shearing season, and Nabal had 3,000 heads of sheep. And money was flowing. This is a money-making time of year. And Nabal is partying, and money is flowing, and it's like, yeah, good times. He sets himself up for a feast like he's a king. Now David, on the other hand, is already anointed as king. He was the successor to the throne already, but he had to wait for God's timing. Nabal's response to David's request brought up something so primal in David. You, you don't know who I am? Okay, I'm gonna show you who I am. It was coming from that place that Satan always likes to use. He does it to get us out of God's will and into our own agenda, out of God's timing and into our own. He appeals to our appetites and he pricks our pride. It's the same old story. We saw it in Genesis. When Satan went to Eve in the garden, and he said to her, did God really tell you not to touch of the fruit of the tree? 
You know why he said that to you, Eve? He said that because he knew if you were to eat of it, you would become a God just like him. And she saw that the fruit was pleasing. So she ate of it. Satan appeals to our appetites. He appeals to our pride. We saw it again with Jesus. He did the same thing. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, praying and fasting, and he was coming off of that time of being alone with his God, he was drained and depleted, and here comes Satan. Because he always comes when you're at your weakest, when you're depleted, when you're not uh, fully within yourself. And he went to Jesus and he said, hey, I see you're hungry. If you're the son of man, why don't you turn those rocks into bread and feed yourself? And Jesus said, no, man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's why you've got to be prayed up. That's why you've got to be read up. You've got to be able to speak life. You need to be able to speak truth back into what Satan has for you. We have an enemy, and that's real. So in this story, it was the same with David. David was tired. He was hungry. He had 600 men looking towards him that he needed to provide for. He was depleted. He, for real, was the king of Israel, but yet he's running around hiding, trying to keep Saul from killing him, which is a whole nother story that I'll trust you'll read this week. And then, here comes this fool talking about, oh, who is this David, son of Jesse. And you know when the soldiers came back to tell David what had happened, you know how your friends are. You know they had just got him all pumped up. That man, he was in there feasting like a kid. He was like, he was like who's David? And we were like, Ugh, and we tried to tell him. You know how your friends are. They had him completely twisted. But the thing that got under David's skin the most, I think, was the crack that Nabal made that there are slaves who run away from their masters all the time. How do I know he's not just a slave running away? That sent David just to a whole other place because David was king. He was nobody's slave, he was king. And even if he was not sitting on the throne, certainly this man, Nabal, is not going to talk to him that way. And like I said, it set him in motion, and he was like, oh, you're going to say my name, you're going to know who I am, because I'm going to show you. He almost lost everything. How many times have we lost it trying to prove to a fool who we are. Those who know Jesus, 
know that he is the bread of life. And that's bread from which you will never be hungry. Those that know the Lord is their protector, their fortress, their strength, can rest and know that he is God, that he is provider, he is protector. Family, you need not lay down with dogs and come up with fleas, as my mother would say. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. What are you hungry for most in life? Jesus can fulfill that for you in ways that nothing else can. There's so many forces that try to drag us down and take us to a place of living foolishly. But as I said, we have a guide. We have a hope, we have the Bible. But in order to live a life of wisdom, we have to be willing to look in the mirror and ask ourselves some tough questions. We have to look at these type of stories and say, how does this event intersect with my life? We have to ask questions like, do I remember my calling? David was a called person. Back in Samuel 1, chapter 16, God had given him a promise. You will be the next king. David was already anointed. And all throughout his wilderness travels, he remembered his calling. But in this one moment of time, he was on the verge of forgetting who he is and what God called him to be. But Abigail comes and reminds him of his calling. And if you are a follower of Christ Jesus this morning, you also have a calling, and we have to remember who we are in Christ. The next thing I think that you need to ask yourselves are, is, am I a teachable person? Remember, the servant said about Nabal that he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. The Bible tells us that there is a for sure way to spot a fool. He or she is unteachable and uncorrectable. They refuse criticism and correction, and instead they bristle and get defensive and they deflect. Proverbs 9 says, fools say, who are you to tell me how to live my life? And that was David's initial response. His pride was wounded. It wasn't about God in that moment. It was about David. When someone confronts us, this is going to be our biggest temptation. To focus our fragile and bruised and wounded ego. Not the glory of God. We can't get so carried away with who we think we are that we forget whose we are. That's the main thing that separates David from Nabal. Both are angry, both are intense men, both are descending into destruction, but David listens and Nabal doesn't. David is willing to be corrected 
And not only that, he is willing to be corrected by a surprise source, an unarmed woman in a time where men, where women just, as I said, were of little value. It was a male-dominated culture, but he was willing to be corrected and take the advice and the correction from a very surprised source, a woman. The last question I think that we need to always ask ourselves is, am I redeemable? Do I wanna be redeemed? You know, ultimately the Bible is not a self-help book or these stories are not just about self-improvement. The Bible is a redemption story. Someone comes from the outside and offers to redeem us. And in that sense, before God, we are all like Nabal and David. The Bible says that not only are we fools, but we are enemies of God before coming to a saving relationship with him. We're bent on destruction. Of course, we may not be out to murder an entire ranch of people. We may not be a fool like Nabal, but our hearts are predisposed to wander away from God. Our life can so easily, you can be on the right track and following, and next thing you know, you're over here someplace, and you're like, hey, what happened? How did I get over here? <laughs> we need help. We need someone who loves us enough to keep us on track. We need someone to save us from ourselves. And that's the story of the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is Jesus Christ. So, I say to you this morning as I close that the most important question to ask yourself today is not, have I acted foolishly in the past? Because the answer is yes. Yes, you have. <laughs> we all have. The most important question to consider this morning is, I, am I open to God's grace for today? He can and he will redeem us from all of our foolishness, mayhem, and tomfoolery. And he's ready and willing, but we have to let him. Let's pray. Father God, your word says that if we knock, you will answer. If we call out to you, that you will be found. So Father, we depend on that promise this morning. We hold on to that promise with two hands this morning. Father, my prayer is that for those who are wrestling to figure out who you are in their life 
what your life, death, and resurrection may mean. I pray even now that they're willing to listen, really listen. And Father, for those of us who've known you and maybe even known you for a long time, Help us to be teachable, Father. Sometimes we know everything, and we don't listen. Father, thank you for always being there to save us from ourselves. All that you do even when we can't tell, is for our good and for your glory. Thank you. And we say this all in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.